It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Thank you, big voice guy. A prescription for hope. Yeah, we could use a little bit of this. Life has gotten very crazy. And you know what's really crazy? You are not hearing the whole story where your health is concerned. You are giving one narrative and nothing else. And you are being made to believe something without looking at all of the facts so that you can make the best decisions for you doesn't sound like that's that big a deal, especially when we're arguing on Facebook about those crazy people who refuse to wear masks. What's wrong with them? Oh, yeah, I was in Narlands, Louisiana about just a week and a half ago. Um, I was down by the waterfront. I was getting beignets and I recorded and put on social media a street band playing when the saints go marching in. It was so much fun. And I noted that there were some people wearing masks, there were some people keeping their distance, and there were others who weren't. And of course, people had to come unglued. These people, they're super spreaders. Ah, okay, okay, I get it. You're afraid. You're scared. But you know what? You're also not completely informed. You don't know why someone's not wearing a mask. You may not know why someone chooses to not get vaccinated. And you may not know some of the news stories that and the behind the scenes stories of the news you are hearing that tells the whole picture. When you do that, you're making a real choice. You're standing for choice. Otherwise, you're just giving in to propaganda. And that's why today we're going to be sharing some news stories with you about what's really going on in the world. Uh, get some insight for you. And I'm feeling health news. Good. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling good. Are you, though? Well, health news today. Here's a big deal. We, uh, at the beginning of this pandemic, we were taught once again, like we were kindergartners, how to wash our hands. Yeah, that's pretty important when there's something going around. You know, it should have been important when we were dealing with cold and flu season because that kills so many people as well. And I got to tell you, I don't care if I die from flu, uh, pneumonia, COVID, I'm still dead. And so taking measures to be healthy, very important. Wash your flipping hands. I get it. But then we were encouraged to use hand sanitizers and people were sanitizing to the point where their hands were starting to crack. When I went to buy new ski boots recently, and as you go, you have to check in and they ask you to use their hand sanitizer. And I was like, heck no, I'll either not buy my stuff here or I'll use my own. And I carry my own with me. What is my own made out of? It is essentially aloe vera oil. It has a little bit of uh, full strength alcohol. I use like an Everclear. 
And it has essential oils, lavender, tea tree, some other things. Those essential oils, people, I am not kidding. Do your research on this. Don't just take my word for it. But those essential oils don't just kill on contact, but on surfaces and the like. They'll continue to kill for days afterwards. Less effective than right away, but they are so, they're so amazing. And um, antibodies... The, the, the bacteria, rather, they don't have the ability to grow a resistance to them because those essential oils, get this, those essential oils are natural. And the rain that goes into them, the, into the flowers of the lavender, the, the amount of sun, the soil, all of those things will vary just enough bacteria can't build a resistance. Those are the great kind of hand sanitizers. And you know what? I'm going to give some away. Yep, I'm going to be sending you some. You just have to e email me, michelle at mymichellelive.com. And for the first 50 people, you're going to get a healthy hand sanitizer. Boom, there you go. My gift to you. It's kind of a cold flu and COVID season uh, protection kit. We'll send you a couple of things. Boom, there you go. But here's the thing. I say all that to say there's a new news story. These hand sanitizers that we're using, bad idea, people. If you hand sanitize and your hand sanitizer has scent, then guess what? Sweetheart, it is loaded with toxic chemicals. Toxic chemicals. Those toxic chemicals stay in your system. They make you gain weight. They age you. They work against you, your health, and even some of the drugs you may be taking. Something else that these hand sanitizers do. Did you know that using hand sanitizers can lower your ability to fight disease? Isn't that the reason we're sanitizing? How does that happen? Because they don't just kill off that bad bacteria. They kill off the good bacteria, which helps protect against bad bacteria. But wait, there's more. No kidding. Stay with me. This, this stuff is important. You need to know this. By the way, look at our website, mymichellelive.com. You can see the transcript of this show so that if anything just goes zooming by too fast and you want to know what did she say, you can go back and you can get the written form. So hand sanitizers. Researchers have found that healthcare employees who were most likely to use hand sanitizers over soap and water for their routine hand washing Guess what? They were nearly six times more at risk for outbreak of norovirus. And that's the virus that causes a lot of gastrointestinitis crap, right? Some have as much of these sanitizers have as much as 81% toxic methanol, also known as wood alcohol. That's a chemical that can cause blindness and death if ingested. So there is all of that that maybe you should have known. But, you know, when they're selling it on television and they're preaching it on the evening news, you're not hearing it. We should know all of that. 
If you didn't, now you do. But wait, there is still yet more. According to Valisher, uh, which is a New Haven, Connecticut-based online pharmacy that tests products for quality and consistency, those hand sanitizers that you're using can cause cancer. Oh, you might be able to uh, clean yourself away from the coronavirus, but that's okay. You'll get cancer, right? We don't care about cancer anymore. It's only corona deaths that matter after all, right? Many of these Hand sanitizers contain benzene, and it's a cancer-causing agent. Look, I'm happy to send a few of our listeners our homemade uh, hand sanitizer. I'll have a list of the pure ingredients, and you and you know what you can do? You can just send me your email address. You know, just email me, uh, Michelle, at mymichellelive.com, and I'll send you my recipe. It is safe. It is effective, and uh, it won't cause cancer. My gosh, really? So as we look at health issues today, we're going to be looking at where we're at with corona, what we know today, uh, and we're going to be putting lockdowns on trial. All of the statistics, all of the news that you're hearing, there's a deeper story, and there is play with the statistics to give you a narrative. I don't know why, but we will find out when we talk to our guests a little bit later. Our guest, who, by the way, sent me information on legislation enacted to combat the coronavirus pandemic. Do you know the cost of the COVID-19 relief provided so far is $3.5 billion? Now, when you look at the chances, the real chances of catching corona, and even the lesser chances of most people uh, dying from it, unless, of course, you are at risk. This is a serious, serious problem. COVID is a serious problem. Make no mistake, I'm not going to lie about that. But to the vast majority, it is not. We're going to be talking more about some of these issues. Uh, The Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources wanted their employees to wear masks at home while on Zoom calls. We can get a little crazy about stuff. Pennsylvania told their residents to wear masks at home. And Dr. Teresa Tam, who's Canada's top health official, it's like a Fauci up there. She told everyone to wear masks while having sex. So, you know, we're taking extreme measures. How are those things working out for us? We're going to talk about that on today's program, but let's talk a little bit more about some of the news. Uh, we have some vaccine news. Now, on upcoming episodes, we're going to talk more about what is happening with the vaccine, how many people are actually having uh, problems with the vaccine, the deaths that are going unreported in the media uh, from the vaccine. It's relatively few, but it still should be taken into consideration. Uh, There's also issues with people getting the vaccine and still transmitting and, and having a corona and those where it just hasn't worked at all and people are getting sick. Those things are real as well and should be taken into consideration. Am I against the vaccine? No. In certain circumstance, it may be a a safer 
alternative for people who are at risk. That's great. But there's something weird about how we are making this idea that everyone must, the whole planet must be vaccinated, a one size fits all cure to a problem. Um, and everyone's getting in on it, right? Miami Heat is going to open a vaccinated-only section for fans come April 1st. The Heat had announced these plans just this week on Tuesday to open two sections of their lower, lower bowl for fully vaccinated fans. And that's going to start with their April 1st game against the Golden State Warriors. The Heat are the first NBA team to jump on this idea, but likely the NBA suggests it will not be the last. Masks are still going to be required, even for the vaccinated fans, and but social distancing rules will be slightly relaxed in those areas. So vaccine, big deal. Even British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, this is the big uh, news headline. It, it's pretty. Expl- it's not really what he said. He was joking, but man, you gotta you gotta jump on it because it's clickbait, baby. He said that greed and capitalism is responsible for the UK's successful coronavirus rollout. He immediately retracted what he said. He made it absolutely clear it was a joke and a reference to the film Wall Street but headlines don't care. They're going to jump on it anyway. But they say, well, you know what? There may be some truth to that. Wealthy countries like the UK have snapped up billions of vaccine doses, while people in poorer countries might be waiting another four or five years to get their shots. They've also opposed, the UK has opposed a push to waive intellectual property rights that could make it easier for developing nations to manufacture their own vaccine supplies, Uh, but it would cut off profits for pharmaceutical companies. The United Kingdom has, by the way, partially vaccinated more than 40% of its population. Um, They are significantly outpacing other nations. Is that a good thing? A one size fits all? Because we haven't tested. Oh, I posted this on social media. I thought this was super cute. Had two little, imagine these two little white mice and they're talking to each other. And one mouse says to the other, have you gotten your vaccine yet? And the other mouse says, no, I here they're still testing it on humans and they are and this was so fast-tracked we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be and if you question what the long-term effects are going to be you're you're a hater you want people to die how illogical is that come on and what about those AstraZeneca folks? Oh, yeah, those vaccines. Did you hear this news story? In a memo sent to company and government officials obtained by the Washington Post, experts who have been overseeing the vaccine trial expressed concerns and disappointment, uh, some even outraged that the drug maker, AstraZeneca, had presented outdated, potentially misleading data on its coronavirus vaccine so that made the shots appear more effective than real, more fuller data show. Well, 
friends, that's kind of the story of COVID. When we look at some of the mask wearing mandates and see uh, more people, uh, there were more cases when masks were taken off. You know, in some of those studies, it was less than 1%, not only well within the margin of error, but sometimes they would even mess with the dates that they were saying it. So there's this old adage, figures lie, liars figure, so go figure. In other words, I can take the data and if I present it in just the right way, or if I take it just at the right time, I'll get exactly what I want my narrative to be. There's a lot of people making Buco bucks from this vaccine. And in many cases, so important to try to protect those people who are at risk. But to make this 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 thing that everyone must get, you know, sometimes you got to question it. And there's nothing wrong with questioning at all, people. You know, even the, the, the mask issue, Dr. Robert Redfield was appointed director of the CDC in 2018. And the CDC was the first to champion mask wearing as a necessity to turn back, to curb the transmission of COVID. And that happened just a year ago in 2020. Now, Fast forward a few months to September of 2020, Dr. Redfield spoke to the Senate committee while holding up a disposable surgical mask. And he said, we have clear scientific evidence. They work. I might even go as far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a vaccine. The immune immunogenesis may be 70%, and if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine's not going to protect me. This face mask will. Masks are most important. He said that the pandemic would be brought under control if Americans wear masks for 6 to 12 weeks. And that didn't happen. First, some percent of the population, by the way, uh, aren't wearing the masks, but for the most part, people comply because they have to. And we're just not, are we? I'm going to ask this question. Have you seen in the statistics that we're seeing much of a difference? We're going to talk about that in just a moment with our guest. But you know, problems that I have with the Miami heat and other places it's, or even flying with a immunization card showing that you've been immunized. You know, a lot of people have had the virus, which makes them protected even more than a vaccine possibly could. Some of the population has a natural immunity T cells from their T cells, and that's about 20% of the population that they estimate on the low end. Also, rationalground.com had an article by our next guest, and it stated that if masks are better than a vaccine, why didn't it work? anywhere. Our guest says we can't find a state in the country with sustained suppression of cases, hospitalizations, hospitalizations, or COVID-19 deaths following a mask mandate. Is that true? We're going to look into it. The world has become crazy. 
And besides, if you're wearing a mask, can I just note, you're not able to see those that gorgeous beard of yours, guys, which we can take care of for you if you really want an irresistible beard that she's not going to want to keep her hands or her nose not nuzzled from, then we've got the products for you at my Michelle Live from realbeardedmen.com. You can use our promo code live from Seattle and save big and look great. Now let's talk about health and this crazy world. In one year's time, I remember, what were you doing when you found out that the world was going to be locked down? Yeah, I, I knew it was coming. For me, I went out and did a bunch of things that I knew I'd love to do, meet friends for coffee, go out to dinner, uh, mani-pedi, whatever, because I thought, you know what, this may be the last day of normalcy for a long time. What if it's for the rest of my life? Ah! Well, as we move forward, you got to really hope that those people making decisions know exactly what they're doing. Why are they making these decisions? And are we right to just kind of lockstep and not question? Well, there's one man who's done research. And that's what I want to hear. It's not just about us against them and my opinion against your opinion. And I really just want to look at the research. If research says lockdown, stay home, or you're going to turn into zombies, dude, I'm locking down, staying home, and I'm getting ready for the zompocalypse. If it says something else, I want to hear about it. And if it is saying something else and I'm not hearing about it, well, then by golly, I'm going to do a show on it. Michael Beatrice is with us. He's a coronavirus researcher and he's written the book COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trial. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Michelle. Now, Michael, right off the bat, you're going to have to correct me if I said your last name wrong because I, I ditched out and didn't ask you before we talked. Uh, no, you nailed it, uh, which is which is a low percentage, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so delighted to have you on the show today. I like the name of your book, too. I want you to think about this as you're listening today, because when you have something on trial, you get to hear all the sides presented, and then you make a logical conclusion based on the evidence, right? Somehow, I think that all of the evidence is not being presented. So we're going to talk about that. But let's start right off, Michael. What was the impetus to write this book? So going back a little over a year, uh, like a lot of Americans, I you know, COVID-19 was just starting. This is going back to February, starting to kind of get in the news. And we we canceled flights to, um, to and from China and, uh, and then uh, Europe. And personally, I was following the cruise ships. There were two quarantine cruise ships, one off Japan, one off of California, and, uh, and they both had uh, an outbreak of COVID-19. <clears throat> so I thought, oh, you know, it sounded like kind of a serious thing. And when the second cruise ship ported in, I've been on just, one cruise. I happen to have been on a Japanese <laughs> cruise ship, the Grand Princess. So I, I followed it with a little bit more interest. And if you remember when it ported in, uh, in early March, it was kind of uh, into Oakland. It was kind of covered like like the Bronco chase on the news. <laughs> and then, yes. yes. What, and then when it landed, when it ported in, um, nothing really happened. And I thought, well, that's odd. You know, Wuhan had locked down, and there, we canceled flights, and there was a lot of attention. 
And about 10 days later, the Imperial College released the model. And this is out of uh, yes. uh, London. And they predicted in a worst case scenario, we'd lose over 2 million American lives by last summer. I thought, wow, that's, you know, sort of at a, at a logic test, it seemed like we would have had more activity on the cruise ships. So I took the assumptions from the Imperial College model and plugged them into the demographics on the two cruise ships. We should have had 155 people die on the cruise ships if the models were correct, the model was correct, and we had 10. <laughs> and so, and, and everybody that died, um, seven of the 10 had um, underlying conditions and they were all elderly. So it was clear uh, the model wasn't gonna play out. It was the perfect scientific experiment, right? It was a do nothing scenario. Um, you had a contained environment, a lot of you know, potential for spread. And then we locked down. And I'd written a lot of books in my past, um, business books published by McGraw-Hill. And when we triggered in April, 40 million people becoming unemployed, um, I just <laughs> woke up one Monday morning. My son was home from college because his college had closed, his university. And I told him I was going to write a book about this. And a month later, it was done. Wow. And there is a lot of information that is indeed out there that for some reason, we're, we're not getting a lot of that. And I did want to start a bit with that model that came out of England, that came out of Great Britain. And it, it's not the first time that the person behind this model has gotten things outlandishly wrong. On one hand, Michael, I understand we want to go to the worst case scenario, because if you're a politician and you underestimate, you are going to get lambasted and people could die. Uh, so you err on the side of caution. But uh, this was these numbers not only haven't played out, but uh, from the history of the same reporting, they haven't played out in the past as well. So here's what's crazy, right? So you've got Professor Ferguson is the author of that, and he's, he's done a lot of research, and, and he's clearly a bright guy. Um, and he put together this model, and then uh, a few days later, uh, Dr. Sunatra Gupta, who is also one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, but back in the moment, back in March, she's at Oxford, uh, also in London, she called out the, the assumptions in the model had a lot of flaws. And uh, so she released uh, basically a peer review of it. The, the very next, this is so crazy, the very next day, uh, Ferguson changed his modeling and, and he went from 500,000 people in the UK dying to 20,000 and then qualifying that with saying most of them would have died this year anyway. Ah. So, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. So we go from there, we go to the IHME. Uh, uh, models that that's actually from your neck of the woods and the IHME had produced models that had initially predicted 160 to 200,000 people dying and then they had reeled that back by May to 40 to 60,000 I can tell you that even me with simply <laughs> using the calculator on my phone and a notepad uh, by looking at some of the, demo the data from the cruise ships and the aircraft carriers my number was 238,000 people that would probably die. And if you look at the actual deaths, the excess deaths from COVID-19 over the last year, that's about where we are. And to put this a little even more in context, Alex Berenson, who's really become the face of 
sort of team reality, reality data on, on the pandemic. Even he predicted in May, um, 450 to 600,000 people would die of COVID. So none of this, uh, none of the people like me that have analyzed this or believe, or, you know, think that COVID-19 is nothing. It's very real. I lost a family member in a care facility to it. So COVID-19 is real. The question is how real, how significant relative to these lockdown restrictions for what's going to end up a year and a half at least, um, how much of that is warranted? That's the question. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and I think that it is a question. I think there are some others as as well, that <clears throat> what are the unforeseen costs in lives and livelihood, if and, and can you weigh those out? And when we think of of these these choices that we've made it's it's like a big experiment never before in the history of man have you locked away the healthy you've always locked away the sick and and that's fine i'm i'm fine with well, let's try something new let's see if this works fine we have let's see how it has played out what does the research show us michael so first off, I think it's important, and I'm, I'm writing a second book, and I, I just completed a lot of this research over the last month. So it's, I think it's valuable to take a look back real quick at what did the WHO and the CDC say about a pandemic before COVID? Both of them, in the most extreme measure, had predicted or had recommended in, in their playbook something like schools closed for four weeks, mm -hmm. the sick, the people that are sick either self-quarantine or wear masks in public, and you might stagger shifts for workplaces to enable some social distancing. And that's it, okay? That's it. <laughs> that's the most, and this is a, a level two or class two pandemic. COVID-19 is a class two pandemic based on a class one to five, according to these playbooks. Somehow we just went off the rails. And so we've, we've pursued sort of this zero COVID approach where where we have to get down to zero COVID. Yeah, what happened to, um, do you remember can... at the beginning, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Michael, but do you remember at the beginning, it was about flattening the curve. I mean, it's only been a right. year, people. Let's try to remember what happened back then. It was, okay, we have to lock down because we don't want to overwhelm our hospital system right now. Um, right. We still don't know what and, this is, yada, yada, right? And here's what the curve was. The curve was, according to the Imperial College, that in a worst-case scenario, we would have a nine-fold shortfall in ICUs on our peak day, which was going to be sometime in June. Uh, in a best-case scenario, with all these mitigations, we would have a three-fold shortfall. Uh, and so that's what the curve was. The curve wasn't to eradicate COVID. The curve was to slow it down, to streamline it, so we would have capacity to meet the healthcare needs. <coughs> Um, major flaws in the models, right? One major flaw, and I've read this like Michael Osterholm has been a big voice in this. He predicted back in March that we would have 18% of our elderly would, would lose their life to COVID-19. Even that's a wildly exaggerated estimate. And based on the data that we had from Italy and the cruise ships, it was impossible. And so uh, somehow we did go off the rails from streamlining hospital capacity. I mean, right now, right now, Michelle, we're at about 3% nationally, nationally of COVID patients occupying beds in hospitals. Yeah. And we still have kids out of school. And to take this one step further, did you know that in 2020, 15 times more deaths have happened to people under 18 
in transportation-related accidents than COVID. And over 10 times more kids have lost their lives to suicide last year than to COVID. Wow. It does put it in perspective. It goes back to what are the unforeseen results of this little experiment. Look, there's been some things that we have to just check off here. One, COVID is serious. You've lost a family member. One of my best friends just lost her grandmother yesterday. Uh, there are lasting effects for those who do survive, uh, for some that do survive. There can be some lasting effects. It's a nasty It's a nasty thing. Um we know this. We also know that there's been some good things that have come out. Companies have learned that people can work remotely. And that's a, that lightens a load on our environment. It lightens a load, you know, on our streets. It takes a bit of a load off for family members who can uh, spend more time with their families instead of in transit. And I, talking from Seattle, I think we have like the fourth worst traffic in the nation. There's been some good things that have come out of of this pandemic where we've had to make decisions. But you use the phrase off the rails. And we really have. We've criminalized people for not wearing masks, which uh, research shows not really all that effective. All it is is a little security blanket on your face to make you feel better. So look, I wish masks worked. I do. And, and, and I live in Dallas, can, Texas. Can I stop you for just one we, second? I want to preface this for yeah. those who do not know me very well. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. I was the chick who would always use a scarf or my my pull my sleeve over my hand to open a public door. I mean, I'm a little... So I'm not saying, you know, and if... I loved going to Japan because everyone wear more masks. And I was like, oh, that's great. I don't want to catch things from people. You know, I bring sanitizer, a, a natural sanitizer with lavender with me everywhere. If I'm on a plane, I spray the heck out of that thing. So can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Michael. I had to sure. preface that and not say, you know, yeah, let's just all, you know, we, whatever, germs, who cares? I believe in a strong immune system. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. But as you said, you're you're in Texas where things are, masks are coming off. I was just there a week and a half ago. That was kind of glorious. But it, things are not, they're not playing out with the whole mask thing like we thought. Right. First off, I, uh, for anybody who thinks that Texas is now a free-for-all, it's not. I can tell you people no. are wearing masks like crazy, and they don't have to. Even in the gym, I belong to an LA Fitness, mm -hmm. and over 50% of the people that work out there, while they're working out, still wear masks. And in the so stores. So it's not a free-for-all. In the uh, well, stores. The store, uh, most of the retailers require mm -hmm. them. Yeah. So uh, I personally have, have not worn a mask in all the major grocery stores, but I've always had one in my pocket. I'm more curious to see kind of what the reaction might be, but, but I don't want to cause anything. So I always have a mask and I put it on. Did you have um, anyone bothered by that? Because I didn't when I was in Houston, I had, you know, no, there was 50% of the people were not wearing masks and no one, no one bothered anyone who did. I think there was a mindset that if my mask is so good, then it doesn't matter if you have one. Yeah, sadly, <laughs> people do believe that. Um, look, so what the data shows on anything less than an N95, and Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, has done a pretty decent job of, of, 
of um, sort of encapsulating this in some sound bites and as he sparred with Dr. Fauci over the last few months, uh, including a big one last week. But um, there's two things that are wrong with face masks and why they haven't proven to be effective. One, they've got gaps on the sides uh, for a lot of um, uh, air to uh, breathe in and out uh, through that. And the other thing is the pore size in anything less than an N95, the pore size is two to 800 times larger than a viral particle, an aerosol particle. That's why you can't find any correlating data in the world where you've got high mask adoption, like let's say over 90%, and continued suppression of the virus. When it comes in, it comes in like a little hurricane. You've got a four to six week period, just like you did in Seattle in the wintertime. You've got a four to six week period where hospitalizations rise, and then it, it, it just recedes. It's, it's crazy to watch this. It's actually been fascinating to watch because these curves are almost the same all over the world whenever these little waves hit. Uh, but you can't find a data point in the world where masks have, have continued that suppression. Interesting. With masks, uh, man, you can you can smell the body odor of the guy next to you in line, you know, and so you're thinking the the uh, aerosols of the virus so much smaller than the guy's be. Oh, yeah, it, it can get through a mask. Uh, and some of the problems that people have while wearing masks uh, just doesn't matter. Oh, my goodness. I, true story, Michael. Uh, we were just sharing this last week with a guy who's a regular on our show, Coach E. Uh, he's in the grocery store. Uh, two people with masks are trying to talk to the guy behind the counter. Um, they, they're deaf and they cannot hear him. They cannot read his lips. They try to give him a note and he's just getting perturbed. He's ready to call security and get them out of there. Luckily, Kochi uh, speaks in American Sign Language and was able to mitigate. But man, people are getting furious. People are uh, really uptight. And the isolation, on another hand, has caused us to tribe up, to be easily offended, and to look at people as they are the enemy. Has that, has that not played out in statistics? Well, uh, a couple things. One, I, I've never seen so much passion stirred up on a topic. And, and to me, this isn't political. You can read my whole book and not know who I voted for. Exactly. So it's not like, even though there's very, very high correlations between Democrat-led states and cities and, and, and uh, tight restriction. Republicans, to fact. But that doesn't mean that all Republicans have been relaxed, and that doesn't mean that all yeah. Democrats have been allowed and super strict. But it's highly 85% or so correlated, and I map that out you know, in, in lockdowns on trial, too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, when I've gone out on Twitter, I wasn't on Twitter before this, but when I would provide statistics and data to defend Christy Nome in South Dakota, uh, nothing stirred up more passion <laughs> in any of the data responses or data that I would provide, like defending Christy Nome. The question is, um, when you look at the states that have looser restrictions, like Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, the Dakotas, uh, and there's more, but let's just take those five. If lockdowns work, if lockdowns work, those states should be doing much, much worse in COVID activity than states that have tight restrictions. It, it should be fairly obvious. Now, I don't mean like 50%. It should be like two, three, five, ten times. They should have much more COVID activity if they have loose restrictions and people are kind of going about their business. In most cases, there's no, no correlating data that shows. If you were to look at, at data 
the data curves, um, and, and I didn't put states on them, but I layered one on top of the other, you would not be able to identify which states had tight restrictions and which ones didn't. It is indistinguishable. Amazing. And so, again, the burden of proof isn't on the loose states. The burden of proof is on the ones that have all these mitigations, all these tight lockdowns, to prove they can do better. They just, they just can't. <laughs> well, we're not hearing that reported uh, readily in any uh consistency in the media. We're not hearing that. We should know that so that we can make better decisions. I, I am really curious. You do touch on, um, and again, this book, COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trial, you can uh, see uh, all of that information on My Michelle Live and uh, get your own copy of the book. I think it's well worth it. Um, you do talk about the the differing states and the differing ideas uh, and and some of the similar results but um i'm really curious why do you think we're seeing 85 percent of democrats be and 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 similarly republicans having this more freedom of, of masks and of re ease of restrictions for Republicans and much more strict draconian for Democrats. Why, why is that? Well, first off, if I could answer that question, so I can give you a couple opinions, but, but there I could, you go. I'm, I'm in a think I'm in a think tank on this. And, and a lot of us wonder that too. One is uh, Dr. Scott Atlas, who was on, uh, on president Trump's COVID team. And he's, he's, um, He's a, um, a teacher and a professor at, um, at Stanford. Um, so Scott Atlas, is, he's been in the inner circle. He flat out said repeatedly, I've been there. I can tell you people are just simply doubling down because they don't want to admit they were wrong. So let's just table that. The other is in general, if there's one sort of big one-sentence description of, of Republicans versus Democrats, Democrats generally feel like the government can do things better than uh, people's independent decisions. And Republicans tend to, and Rand Paul is a good example of this, tend to think people can make good decisions on their own and the government shouldn't control those decisions. And that's sort of a big difference too. So I think there's a combination of those two things. Um, but, but I'm open. <laughs> it's, it's crazy because the people that are most harmed by the lockdowns are also traditional Democrat constituents, right? I mean, the people that are, you know, that are high income earners, they're, they're really not affected by this. They might get to stay home, right? And, and work remote, like you called on earlier, and that could be a life, life um, experience posit positive. Um, if, if they've got fractured education, they've got the resources to get tutors, or they might have a stay at home parent. Uh, and so they can sort of bridge that gap. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. The people that have been most screwed by this are, are parents of kids that don't have the means and the resources. And so you're going to see a widening gap between, um, uh, you know, sort of household income uh, and, and what's happened with those kids, uh, you know, with the lower income kids having less resources, that gaps, that education gap is going to widen. It's going to have massive long-term effects. When we look at the <clears throat> the effects on people, it is heinous, and we kind of ignore that because we're trying to save lives. Uh, but 
if we could actually work together, some of the things that you said, Michael, would be a perfect mesh between uh, Democrat and Republican kind of ideology. If if your uh, thoughts on this bear out to be true, think about it. For the most part, you're seeing in Texas, and I saw in, in Texas when I was there a week and a half ago, that um, many people are, st- even though you have loose restrictions, uh, almost every single establishment sanitizing wearing masks or their employees wearing masks um, and and doing some things that they think will be responsible to try to keep people from catching the virus because they're a business they don't want someone they want the bad press someone got covid from you know wiki wiki mark over here uh, and then on the other hand the Democrat response, Michael, is, well, you know, government needs to step in because, you know, people aren't smart enough to make their own decisions, basically. Well, sometimes people are stupid. I'm sorry. It's true. You know, we have memes all over the Internet for that. So somewhere in there, uh, having freedom, but also being able to say, hey, if you're stepping out of line, we have resources for this or uh, we have resources for uh, to encourage businesses to have people stay home instead of come to work sick you know there there are ways that we should be working together your thoughts uh i I think there's no question about that uh but i think that the the, even the idea of what people's personal responsibility and what they would do it's still sort of you have to go back to the source and say are the do these mitigations work and how much can you do and i I will tell you right i mean we know who's at risk if you're under 65 and severely obese you are at risk. That is, that is at risk. If you're over 65, you're at risk, period. And if you have specific underlying conditions like hypertension, a respiratory condition, you are also at accelerated risk. Everybody else really isn't. So if we only encourage the people in these at-risk groups to, to um, sort of keep a low profile. So an example is I've got 89-year-old parents in Detroit, which was hard hit in April last year. My brother and I have kept them under a very close wrap, right? We don't want them going out, right? They would be vulnerable. I've got a 21-year-old son at a Big 12 school. I've told him to live his life as freely as he can, as I do. Uh, and so that's, that's all you can do. The question isn't, oh, listen, COVID-19 is nothing. We should just blow it off and live. It should be a free-for-all. That's not true. Mm-hmm. But you can't lock down and do a one-size-fits-all mitigation spread for huge segments of the population that aren't at risk, which again includes 50 million kids that will have lost a year and a half of education. And I saw this great article. You can, you can find it if you do a search. It's called um, something like a progressive's rant on education, but it was by a mom, self-admitted progressive in, in San Francisco or Oakland. And her comment was going off about the data in schools. But one line that I'll never forget is she said, when did the Republicans become the party of education and, and children. That she goes, that's what I'd like to know. Ouch. And that's where we've landed. Yeah. <clears throat> that's that's kind of food for thought right there. And then we get into I I don't want to sound conspiratorial, so forgive me and put me in line, Michael, if I <laughs> I'm getting there. But then a lot of this you wonder when we are force fed a vaccination 
um, where people are making, I mean, Bill Gates, the savior of the world, the second coming, <laughs> is making billions from this. Fauci has ties to this. And you look at that and you follow the money and you go, oh, is, is, is this all about making people money and, you know, sticking the needle in everyone before we even know uh, how these vaccines will play out before we really know some of these so very new. We And we're, we're not, it's underreported in the media how many people are having serious complications and dying after taking the, the vaccine and the extreme amount of uh, numbers of people who are just getting COVID because they've gotten the vaccine we're not hearing that so that we can't weigh things out to find out what's best. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I think a couple things on this. Uh, one, uh, the only way out of a pandemic in history, any pandemic, is herd immunity, right? It's when enough mm-hmm. people in the population um, get it, get immune, can't transmit it anymore, and eventually it just fizzles out. Uh, and so you can reach your immunity one of two ways. You can do it naturally by enough people getting infected and getting through it, or you can have a vaccination. That's it. That's, those are the end games regardless of how we get there. So when you look at the vaccines, um, we've got about one in 10,000 that seems to have a serious complication side effect. That's much higher than any other vaccine that, we, we, um, that any of mm-hmm. us would take. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if you're in an elderly population group, or you've got one of the underlying conditions like severe obesity I mentioned, your odds are better of, of, uh, of getting the risking the side effect of the vaccine Absolutely. and riding it out. Yeah. You, you are. That's what if good medicine is about, years- Michael. It, it is, you know, you we are great in our Western medicine of intervening in life and death situations. And that's where something like that is important. But you mentioned this earlier, we have this idea that we've got to get to zero. You know, you remember the bubonic plague? There are still at least three or four people in the United States of America every single year that comes down with the bubonic plague. Once something is out there, it may not ever really go away, but it becomes no longer a threat to the to the mass public when we've reached right. herd immunity, which is 30%, correct? Uh, I, I mean, it, you know, it varies, but I would say here's what you've heard. Immunity in general would have to be higher than that. You'd have to be well over half to really squash this thing. Um, but you've got a, okay. a, a chunk of the one. One thing I tell you, though, is they always talk about uh, people need to be vaccines and the vaccine passports and you need to show proof of a vaccine. What they ignore uh, all over the world is people that have been infected. Right. If you've been infected and you recover. And by the way. Every single one of my, I, I don't know, I don't think I've gotten it, but every single one of my close friends has gotten it. My son and all his roommates at college got it four weeks ago. When you get it and get through it, you are likely to have much better immunity than, than from one of the RNA vaccines. Mm-hmm. That, is prob- that is a historical medical fact. Now, we'll see how it all plays out. But we sort of ignore that. So they're like, well, we need to get, you know, uh, a couple hundred million people vaccinated. Well, at least affected by the virus. So between that and, and we're surgically targeting the vulnerable uh, groups that we've already discussed with vaccines, but we're pretty much through it. I mean, the pandemic as we knew it has been over really since February. We're just kind of running the clock out, right? We will never really have what we encountered last summer, last spring, and to a degree even in the wintertime. Uh, that just isn't going to happen again here. Um, and the variants aren't proving to be 
for all the discussion about, oh my God, the variants are going to get us. Well, the UK variant is the one they talk about the most. And mm-hmm. while they talk about the UK variant being dangerous here, the UK is crater, cratering with COVID activity. It's got the exact curve, exact same curve. You could lay one on top of the other as America in cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. So the UK variant might be really dangerous, but it really hasn't been in the UK. Wow, that's fascinating. That is a bit of information I did not know. Uh, And part of the reason it's hard to find some of these, sometimes you really have to dig with the vaccine. Um, There's even concern that once you have gotten vaccinated and you uh, can develop a even a mild case of COVID, maybe much more mild. That's tends to be the uh, way things go with vaccines, uh, that you're still maybe transmittable. And so we have this false idea, hey, I've got this vaccine. I can you know, do whatever I want, go wherever I want, go visit grandma in the nursing home. And it just may not be that way. And I think that responsibility of misinformation falls squarely um, on our on our politicians and on the media? No doubt. I mean, it's uh, the media has created this sort of zero scorecard, zero COVID scorecard. And so a great example of that is, is last August, there was an article in Politico that sort of rated the best states with their COVID responses. And so I was really excited. I was working on a second edition of my book. It came out in November, but I was working on that. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Which direction do they go? Sort of South Dakota, Florida, Georgia, Texas route, or the California, Illinois, New York route? Sure enough, they rated California very high, New York very high. Meanwhile, these other states with looser restrictions had done no worse. But they've, the media has created sort of this zero COVID where if you're not doing everything you can do, collateral consequences be damned, right? It doesn't matter if kids are out of school. There's hardly any reporting on that in the media, hardly any. There's really no reporting on deaths of despair or all the things that haven't happened as a result of the lockdowns. You know, things like 46% of the most common cancers didn't get diagnosed in 2020. Yes. Huge. Oh, gosh, yes. 650,000 cancer patients didn't get treatments during the lockdowns. Half-child immunizations didn't get done. Um, a couple hundred thousand uh, cases of child abuse happened. Uh, a quarter of college-age kids thought about suicide. You don't hear about any of that kind of stuff. It's all about zero COVID. And so because of that, these governors have sort of a green light without really much rebellion. I, I, knowing Seattle, I've done a Seattle a bunch of times. My guess is people really do want masks and they want to stay locked down. When I say most, I mean probably over half the population oh in Washington gosh, State or for sure so in Seattle. Right. You can't, I cannot walk to my mailbox uh, and not wear a mask without somebody freaking, I mean, freaking out and running to the other side of the street as though, you know, I have I have the worst disease ever. I'm absolutely transmittable. Save yourself. Save yourself. So, yeah, yeah you're right. And, and you, you're right. And you, you can't blame this. those people, Michelle, because of the media. Um, the, the, you know, what's, what's sort of been pummeled at him for a year straight. I mean, my son and I went climbing, mountain climbing in Jackson Hole last July. A third of the people we saw driving around in a national park, the drivers were wearing masks. In the we car. We were climbing up at, uh, in the car. And we were climbing so they don't about catch 10... it from themselves. <laughs> Crazy. And we saw climbers, we were up at about 10 or 11,000 feet on a trail that might be five, six feet wide, let's say. 
And when some, some climbers would approach us, they would pull up a gator or something. Uh, and, and like, it's just insane, but, but, like, I don't have any contempt for anybody, right? I mean, there, information is power, right? And it breeds a little bit of confidence and peace of mind. And most people just don't have the information. Yeah, and and so you say I don't blame them, but in a way, I, I do. Because we just lockstep and we get lazy. This is a government of, by, and for we the people. And while this isn't a political issue, as you have mentioned, and as you can see in your book, this there's no politics in your book. Uh, but nonetheless, we are... This is supposed to be of, by, and for we the people. And this government works with an informed people, not a, a people just given to its propaganda. And that sounds good. And I believe it. Look a little bit deeper. We have that responsibility to do that. That's my chastisement for the day. Uh, are you still with me? I think I, I just just dropped a little bit as we talk with Michael Beatrice. He is the author of COVID-19 Lockdown on Trial. Michael, you still with us? I hope we didn't lose you for good because I have another question. But, you know, a lot of the questions that you may have, you can find in... Uh, ah, yes, we did lose him. Let me see if I can get him back. Uh, a lot of the questions that you may have that I didn't ask, you can find in Michael's book. Uh, I'm giving him a call back and to see if maybe we can get him Hello. back. To Hi, sorry about that call dropped back. out. Uh, we're, we're winding up anyway, but Michael, um, I did want to ask you in your research, was there any like, wow, wow, surprises, just information that blew you away? Well, the biggest wow, uh, which is what triggered me to write the book, but the biggest wow is that um, kids are not affected by this at all, and we've got them out of school, right? I mean, you know, you can sort of unemployment. When you talk about unemployment, uh, there's a little bit of, oh, well, you think money is more important than, uh, than saving lives. Okay. Um, you can't claim higher ground on education, right? Kids are not affected. They are actually at less risk for COVID than the flu. That's just a fact. Um, 40, the average age of teachers is 41. 90% of teachers are not in at-risk categories. Teaching face-to-face -face with normal protocols, as we've seen in studies from Norway and Denmark, uh, and, and sort of if, if anybody felt like doing the research, I've talked to two private schools that have normal protocols, no masks, one in Texas, one in Georgia, and they haven't had incidents too. The research mm -hmm. is there. The data is there okay. um, if anybody wants to, if the CDC would find it. Keeping kids out of school is a human rights crime. It's the most um, catastrophic fallout from this thing. And that's the biggest wow I experienced. Okay, maybe let me ask this then. Keeping kids out of school, kids are not affected really. Uh, it's, it's kind of a non-issue if they get COVID. What about the transmission though bringing it home to my house where right. you know i i so, have an elderly parent that i'm taking care of that you know that that may be a, a real issue it, it, so two things one kids are proven to not be efficient transmitters of this we don't know why but that is a data fact the other data fact is four percent of kids k through 12 live with their grandparents um, if, if, if a household had a child that was attending school and they had an elderly parent who could be at risk, yeah, maybe they do something different. Um, 
that doesn't mean that for the 96% that aren't in that bucket, we create this policy to keep them out of school for a year and a half. I mean, maybe that child, maybe we do something different for them uh, and do a different accommodation. I mean, uh, you know, I, you know, you'd be flexible on something like that. But you don't create a policy that spreads across 100% of students when 96% don't have the situation you just described. So, Michael, final question. In all of this, we can see the data play out. I do not fault politicians who, at the beginning of this outbreak, took extreme draconian measures because we didn't know what the virus was. We didn't know its effects. We didn't know who could catch it. We didn't know. There was so much we didn't know. But with everyone in lockdown and nothing else to do, we got some data fairly quickly. Now, here we are a year later, and we have extraordinary books that have checked out the data like yours, COVID-19 lockdowns on trial. We know now, but something you said earlier, um, maybe we just don't like to admit that we're wrong on individual levels. Uh, if people are confronted with, with the evidence, well, I still believe, you know, we don't want to be- admit that we're wrong. So where do we go from here? And is there any hope? Well, I think first off, uh, I have a lot of forgiveness personally for decisions that were made in uh, March and April last year. Absolutely. I do. I, 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 you know, there, people didn't apply critical thinking, like looking at the cruise ships and really peeling it apart. But let's just say you want to err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get on Governor Newsom in my book for, um, uh, for being the first state to lock down. Uh, and I didn't get on Governor Cuomo for the nursing home policy. Um, I did get on everybody when schools didn't reopen in the fall. Uh, and one other point on this is, um, you know, when you, you hold people sort of uh, accountable for this, it wouldn't have been intuitive to Governors Whitmer or, Fout or um, uh, Cuomo about the nursing home policy. You know who should have known, though? Based on the data from the cruise ships and Italy, Drs. Fauci, Burks, Redfield from the CDC, it should have been intuitive to them out yeah. of the gate. This thing is merciless on the elderly with underlying conditions. You can't put, you can't create an environment where, you know, you're sort of um, creating infection, the potential for infection, right? Uh, And so it should have been intuitive to them. They didn't see it. They should, they shouldn't even be in those roles after, after making a mistake like that. Yeah, it's, it it gives you food for thought and you, you have to be smart enough to question that if somebody is in a position as they're in, unquestioned, like a, a guru of all knowledge without being able to be questioned, that is dangerous. And it's part of some of the dangerous areas that we're getting into in our nation today, which may be fodder for another program. But this is my first encounter with Michael Betris. He is now I'm now I'm probably saying your name wrong. See, this is what I do when I don't research it beforehand. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, he's a coronavirus researcher, author, and his latest book, COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trial. I have links on my Michelle Live. Uh, we will have them on as we put on the uh, the audio version of this podcast. And you can pick up the book and, and get educated yourself. I think we all have that responsibility. That's where we can make the best choices going forward because we're an informed public. We can demand that of those who are our representatives, who work for us. We can demand that of the media and say, hey, this crazy... Uh, 
kind of reporting. No more. We want to hear real reporting. We want to hear the whole story. This falls on us. I'm not going to blame anyone else anymore. It's my responsibility and I'm taking it. Michael, it has been such a joy to meet you. And I hope I hope you'll consider coming back on and, and checking in as you continue your research and keep us educated. I would love that, and uh, and you reach out too, and uh, and then stay on when we're done if you have a few minutes. You got it. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, this is Health Watch. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com. Just one moment.